Hi, and welcome to my first five years podcast. I'm Jenny Johnson. And I'm Alistair Bryce-Clegg. And we are early years experts and the founders of My First Five Years, an activities and child development app for parents. This podcast will help you get rid of some of the anxiety that comes along with raising a small human and help you have some more fun. Yes, we know there are days when you just feel utterly lost because no one gives parents an instruction manual. So we want to hold your hand through it and help to put the joy back into your parenting. Today's episode ties in with Zero Waste Week in the UK. Now, according to Zero Waste Research, in the UK, each person throws away five times their own body weight in waste per year. And we know that's something you can find worrying as a parent, not just about how much waste your one house can create with things like nappies and baby wipes, but also that bigger picture about what kind of planet our children might inherit. It feels so relevant at the moment to be thinking about teaching our young children about the planet and how we can all protect it for them. They're the ones that are going to have to live on it long after us. We've invited a guest along today to unpack some of these worries and to give us some practical tips on things that we can easily do to reduce our waste and parent young kids in a sustainable way. So we'd like to welcome Charlotte Howell-Jones, who is an organiser from Parents for Future. Thanks so much for having me here today. Brilliant to be here. Thanks for joining us today. So it'd be brilliant if we could start by you telling us a little bit about your organisation. So I work for Parents for Future. Um, we are a growing group of parents who are trying to navigate the climate crisis together um, and secure a safer, fairer world for our children and for children everywhere. Um, by pushing for the huge social and political change that we need to help halt this crisis. Certainly the news at the moment is so depressing. I've actually got to the point where I think I'm just keeping it turned off, but I know also that isn't the answer. And actually informing ourselves is probably the better approach than burying our heads in the sand. Yeah, and as an organisation, I think we very much um, appreciate that as parents, it's so difficult to see this news, you know, the increase in fires, the floods, the heat, and know that it this is just the beginning. So. A lot of what we do at Parents of Future is about being a supportive community so that we can actually work out how to get through this as parents and how to get our kids through it as well because it's not easy for them to hear this news and then on the other, on the flip side, you're hearing the inaction um, from our leaders at the moment um, and that real push away from sort of green initiatives. So, yeah. And also some of the things that you're saying are quite scary. And I think, especially when we're talking about children who are five and under, it's being able to get that really important message about climate and climate change, but delivered in a way that it's not going to frighten them or scare them in a way they can understand it and also help them to be proactive in doing something about helping to save the planet because those seeds of knowledge start early. Yeah, I totally agree with that. And I think one thing that children find very reassuring is being able to talk about climate change with their trusted adults um, and also seeing those trusted adults act on their behalf. Yeah. There's quite a lot of narrative out there about all oh, the children can save us. You know, there's the, the youth movement are doing amazing things, but there's too much responsibility being placed on children. And I'd like to see more people sort of maybe leaving it a little bit later to talk to their children about climate change and just trying to instill a love of nature that will make them naturally want to help protect the planet as they get older, but then start to have those conversations at age-appropriate times because some of the news can be so worrying for them and maybe they don't need that 
so early on in in their years you know it's just a matter of staging it yeah um, i agree it's about the how they filter what they hear and understand it so how your three-year-old brain with the experience that it's had understands something about forest fires or floods is very different our adult brain obviously will process that information but the idea of just raising a generation who are custodians of the planet is a really good way into it because then you're naturally thinking about how you can keep our planet as green and as productive as it can be and that will naturally lead into lots of the initiatives that we're going to talk about around saving the world yeah absolutely and and allowing children to understand that we are actually part of this system we are part of nature we are part of this planet and um yeah we all need to to be working symbiotically a constant theme for my first five years is about that realistic approach to parenting and, you know, listening to what we feel we can do and, and not shaming people either. The last thing we would want is someone to sort of leave this podcast feeling overwhelmed or just not knowing where to start. I absolutely agree. At Parents for Future, we we really respect that. It is hard parenting, especially for the nought to five-year-olds. And Indeed. <laughs> add climate crisis into the mix. Mm-hmm. Um when we have no point of reference for this crisis as well, we haven't got a rule book that we can go to. And I think mm-hmm. your um, description of your podcast about being um, a place to hold um, your hand through this parenting journey is just like what we're trying to do at Parents for the Future. We're trying to, to help people through this journey together and we're learning from each other. One of the things we want to focus on today is ideas around reducing waste and living as sustainably as we can. Mm. There's a lot of waste in the early years. I used to run a children's nursery group and we really tried hard to look at every area that we were wasting. And I'll tell you, just as an aside, it's a really big one with glitter. Every single day, the colleagues were pouring loads of glitter into the water. And then at the end of the day, the water and the glitter was going down the sink. And we actually removed glitter completely from the nursery. And there's a, a lot of people at the side really sulking about it but within a couple of weeks nobody missed it and it's just one of those crazy things that you know everybody does without even questioning it so there are so many probably really simple changes that you might feel quite strongly about to begin with but actually when you do them you realize they're not even missed um other things obviously like nappies and baby wipes and how quickly children are growing out of their clothes often lots of plastic toys Mm. and again we're not here to shame anybody we're just looking to listen for some of those practical things that parents can do to reduce waste in those very early years so have you got any thoughts on that Charlotte? As an organisation this is a hot topic as you can imagine Um, we've got a lot of parents within our network that come up with myriad ideas all the time so what I would say is come along and check out our community because um, once you get on there, <laughs> you can have discussions about whether you do want to try cloth nappies or whether you're trying to um, reduce waste by um, thinking about the way you shop. There's so many different ways that you could approach reducing waste. But one thing I'd really like to stress is we definitely don't want to put additional stress on parents that are already really busy and maybe struggling and juggling um but there are all simple things that we can do out there one of the key things i think from our perspective as that comes up again and again in our community is meal planning um a little bit 
because children do create a lot of food waste. Um, it's natural. They don't always want to eat what they've been put in front of them. Um, and so planning out meals for the week is one way of us not wasting before they even get the chance to potentially um, leave a bit of food on the side of their plate. And then composting any leftovers, that's not always possible. I think it's a really good point about food waste because we're talking about two things, I think. One is obviously when you've got very little children and they'll be going through things like weaning, there is going to be a lot of food waste because they're just getting used to tasting food and putting it in their mouth. So it tends to be some of it gets spat out, some of it ends up on the floor. And then there's that thing, and there are lots of statistics out there about how much we actually throw out from our fridges on a weekly basis. That never get touched or used. Yeah, and yeah. yeah. it's that that we're talking about here. The fact that if you can plan ahead, then you are likely to reduce that waste down. But if you have got, you know, a toddler who's weaning or a child that doesn't want to eat whatever you've put on their plate for whatever reason, that idea of being able to compost it is a really good one. And you can get those countertop composters. Uh, we've had those in the past, just for bits of kitchen waste. If you're not going to do the big thing in your garden or your backyard or whatever you've got. But there are lots of things you can do that are just small, but actually do make quite a big difference. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's the Stat is a third of all food that's produced is now wasted, and yeah. which is horrifying, really. And um, so, mm-hmm. anything that we can do, you know, thinking about the scraps that you've got left over, and like literally thinking, right, can I compost it, or can that just be thrown into some soup or something? I was just gonna, just gonna add to that that um, during lockdown, I think I got the most inventive ever about food waste because all of a sudden it wasn't guaranteed that I could go to the shop and get what exactly. I wanted. And there was and more it, time. There was more time yeah. as well. But I remember even doing things like freezing milk and then using it later in a cheese sauce. It was crazy just how all of a sudden you can get inventive if you need to. And I guess what we're gonna, what we're trying to do is prevent that need. It's one thing that the shops were struggling to resource in. COVID, which was a, a one-off situation, but I guess what you're trying to get people to consider is that if big changes are not made, food shortages could be a, a real thing that, you know, whether it's our generation or the next generation yeah, are dealing with on a daily basis. So this is the conversation that needs, needs to be had that are big and scary and, and do sometimes feel like almost unrelatable. Yeah. yeah. And there's so many other ways as well. I mean, we think about the clothes that we are buying for children it they're growing so quickly as you said um thinking about maybe you know can we shop secondhand can we have a hand-me-down system within families a little bit more and try and move away from that always you know thinking oh does it have to be new can we think of other ways around this within our organization we do um we've got 25 local groups and there's quite often clothes swaps halloween costume swaps thinking of just you know smaller ways where we could reduce waste then i think the plastic that goes into halloween costumes in particular is astronomical so is that coming up this autumn look out for some of those halloween swaps and it saves money as well which again we don't be you know in a cost of living crisis um it's pretty good to be saving cash as well we've done some writing over the first five years about how much halloween costumes are full of plastic for one. The majority of the content is plastic, but also it tends to be aware at once, unless you've got a family with multiple children, and then it goes into landfill because they're so mass produced, they're really cheap to buy. And again, it's about that mindset of, oh, it's just cheaper just to go and buy one. So if I could sit and have to make 
whatever outfit for my child, or I could just go to a supermarket and buy one for $5.99. But again, well, I'm not suggesting that everybody sits and embroiders Halloween outfits, but what you're saying is true. Go to the local charity shop, ask around. Just, it's, I don't, it's not about effort. And it's, again, it's this idea that, you know, you're shaming people into not having make enough effort for the planet, but we're not necessarily saying make your own costumes. What we're saying is the little bit of effort is about, can I source this from elsewhere? And we've all had it where you buy the Halloween costume for the child, they keep it on for 30 seconds and they get too hot or it's too itchy. Yeah, and it's usually it's, itchy. Yeah, they, they stitch <laughs> them terribly. And <laughs> most of them are flammable anyway, which is not great for Halloween around all those candles or Christmas. So... Yeah, there's lots, I think, that we can do. Another aspect we talk about a lot in my first five years is, is toys and the fact that, especially under five, the amount of plastic toys that you get. And again, plastic toys can be great. You can get some great value out of a plastic toy, but most children tend to have way more toys than they need. Um, and that also ends up going into landfill. Absolutely. When actually, I mean, a lot of the science around child development would say that children don't actually need toys at all in any way, shape or form. You can learn everything you need to learn that you can learn from a toy just by interacting with things that are in your cupboard and things that are in the outside environment. Mm -hmm. And again, we're not saying we're going to ban all toys. That's not, that's not what we're about. But that idea of toy swaps, toy libraries, uh, donating to your local charity shop, buying from your local charity shop, all the things that's going to reduce A, your expenditure, but B, that you know, landfill. I'm seeing a real change around this as well with, you know, professional full-time working parents going and, and using the whole sort of recycle thing. Mm -hmm. My uh, cousin, she's a, a, a senior vet. She earns good money, I'm sure. But she posted up that she's bought um, like a rocking horse from Facebook, um, you know, for significantly less than a new one but also yeah. she's really proud to post that it's not got that stigma that it used to have and I think my eldest daughter now loves to shop vintage mm -hmm. and I think by calling it vintage instead of shopping at the jumble sale as it used to be when I was a kid it's just about some of the language and reframing how people are thinking about it but she loves the quirky things that she can buy that way and, and is much prouder to buy something like that than buy the sort of really disposable fashion that's going on so Absolutely. I see the change around me but just not everywhere yet. Yeah, I think we're making some great steps into normalizing, reusing and um, buying secondhand or vintage, however we want to phrase it. <laughs> and and with toys, then that's increasing a lot at the moment. I mean, as an organization, we do, we regularly hold toy swaps, especially before Christmas, because it's so helpful for families financially, but also for the planet, just you know, creating more and more and more when actually we've got tons of toys out there that just need to be redistributed sometimes and um, finding that space. Um, yeah, they just need to be loved again. It's a bit of joy, yes. Please yeah. do. Absolutely. Also, you'll find there are lots more, I mean, lots of local authorities will have a scrap store or similar where you can go and buy innards of carpet rolls, cardboard boxes, plastic tubes, all sorts of things that have multiple uses when you've got the imagination of a child. And so sometimes a box just full of that, which didn't cost you a lot of money, a lot of it can be recycled, can be way more valuable in terms of fostering creativity than that kind of plastic toy that you buy from the local shop. So again, it requires a little bit of effort, but what you're doing is giving back, I reckon, in spade loads, both 
to the planet in terms of the environment, but also to children in terms of developing their creativity. And your own pocket and bank balance. And I think that's the sort of win-win. And I believe the motto of this Zero Waste Week is um, reduce, reuse and recycle. And that kind of uh, fits in very nicely with that, I think, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And more and more in our area, I'm seeing um, toy loan organisations as well, which is fantastic because we all know how quickly toddlers in particular and smaller children move on from their toys and get tired of them quite swiftly so it's great that you could just go pay a pound or two where you could be paying sort of 30 40 pounds or something um and loan that toy for a little while and then return it once your child has has tired of it and that's also fantastic from a parent's perspective because then we haven't got all these toys hanging around the house and also from a child's really perspective funny. you are getting them used to that idea that you don't buy something own it and keep it forever if you are grow up in the mindset of you might hire something use it when we think about fashion even for adults now the huge increase in hiring fashion rather than buying fashion especially high-end stuff i mean there are lots of added elements to that like the carbon footprint of how it was made and how it's transported and how it's packaged and they need to be looked at separately but the idea that we're kind of moving away from spending a lot of money buying particular items and keeping them forever i think is a really positive one if that's an ethos for the next generation i think as well i've got the three girls that i talked about before i've got quite a big age gap between my elder two and the last one that came along but um with Olivia she hardly had any toys because I knew that actually they weren't really Mm. helping her in any way they were filling my house they were costing me a fortune whereas with the first two you know every new VTech thing that I saw on telly I was buying and I don't think I bought any of that with Olivia and she's bright as a button got brilliant language and didn't miss any of it and sometimes some of that is the culture of parents and the culture of social media that we all get sucked into that you have that comparanoia as we call it my first five years where you think well I haven't got that so I can't be that good a parent it's that parental guilt thing that gets you every flame and time so i know we talked a little bit before charlotte about you know children engendering this idea that they are custodians of the planet and really kind of embracing nature as a natural way of then you know looking after our earth but what about any other ideas that you might have for how we can help children to understand that kind of environmental change and make them proactive in their recycling and things like that yeah it's a really good question so I think as an organization, we really feel that inspiring children is one of the absolute best ways. So if you see your trusted adult looking after the environment, if you're being brought up in a, in a space where nature is respected, if you do recycle, if you do speak out, if something isn't right in your community, you know, if trees are being chopped down or, you know, that's, Leading by example is like so massively important. And I think that's one of the biggest inspirations for children. But also there's so many small things that we can do. Not all parents are into the environment. That doesn't mean to say that children can't be, you know, schools play a massive role now. And I think schools are becoming more and more aware and teachers are doing an incredible job at trying to make sure children have more time outside in nature um, where perhaps parents can't because they're working you know, incredibly hard and just don't have that capacity. So there's so much positive things they could go on. It can be the tiniest things that would inspire a child and every child's different, obviously. Um, But, you know, it could be reading Winnie the Pooh and and reading about that magical wood and thinking, crumbs, 
I'd like to go and have a wander around a wood. And um, then, you know, later on, they might be thinking, crumbs, woods are a really special place. We don't want to be chopping them down and, and making that connection, you know, like, like really gently. I don't, I think children are so clever and they're like sponges, aren't they? And so yeah. it's those influences that are around all the time. And if we can make those really positive, or, you know, when we can as well, we can't be taking children out wild swimming and camping every five minutes, but we can pick up a book or encourage them towards maybe watching a, a documentary that's got, you know, a little bit of nature in it or even a program. You know, Oxonauts is an incredible program for helping children understand free life and take an appreciation for what's yeah. down there. So it doesn't all have to be like, you know, hard, you know, making it harder for parents. I don't think it's more bringing out the joy in nature and trying to, you know, maybe taking a book outside if you can, taking a bit to the park and having story time in the park is like a wonderful way of, of connecting nature bringing and bringing that joy i think because it's a hard message and because it's a scary message especially for adults who understand the implications of it it can feel a little bit hard to filter that down for children but actually you're dead right there are loads of really good picture books for the under fives that, are, that deal with climate change and the environment i mean even bob the builder was reduced reuse recycle so there's plenty of like children's stuff that's out there but even when we talked before about the fact that you put your scraps in the compost bin getting children to collect the scraps obviously if it's safe and you know to do so and stick them in the compost bin talking about your bath water you know whether you put you're washing up water down the sink or whether you take it out and water the little bit of seeds that you've planted with them all of those things although they're small acts and they're very much part of your routine i think if we think about realistic parenting with anything the more you can make the message part of the jobs that you do on a regular basis rather than having to be a lecture or an event or an outing all of which are great but the idea of i can make this kind of understanding about the planet and recycling all of those things part of what we do as our family routine that's when it becomes part of what's ingrained in you like brushing your teeth and changing your pants you know all of those things become part of the day-to-day -day and that's what we want children to have and I guess ultimately the children of right now are the voters of tomorrow. Well, yeah. And if we can get them to genuinely have a passion and care about these things, then eventually the politicians might actually stop paying lip service and really care about the votes of these uh, young children that will be the voters absolutely. of the future. I so, think it is a bit yeah. of a long game, but not that long. I think that's absolutely, the issue, isn't it? Absolutely. Absolutely. But again, I would bring it back to, to parenting and leading by example. And, you know, it. we don't actually have the luxury of time now when we're thinking about the climate crisis in particular. I mean, yes, we want to instill enough of nature and it's really important that the next generation are equipped and, and feel, you know, have that, that connection with the planet that they want to protect it. But actually, we really need to be protecting ourselves now yeah. on their behalf. Because it, mm -hmm. by the time many of our children have got to an age where they can vote, it will be too late. So we need to be starting to use our voice and to use our vote really, really carefully over the coming um, general election. And actually, you know, looking at what MPs are saying about the environment, some of what they voted for in the past, it's so important. So I think, yeah, it, yes, it's important to inspire children, but it's also 
important that we are actually leading by example and we are advocating for them now because we are on a bit of a deadline. Yeah, we're not abdicating responsibility to them. We're actually getting on and doing something about it in the meantime, I think is what you're saying. Absolutely, which is why as as an organisation we exist and we're there for parents to help along that journey. Maybe finally, it'd be nice to just touch on some of the things that you're doing to support parents and older teenagers and older children around the anxiety of watching the news at the moment and and seeing and hearing about the impact of climate change on the planet. So what are some of the resources that Parents for Future have to help with some of those anxieties? It's a really good question. In a recent government poll, 74% of adults in Great Britain actually worried very or somewhat worried about climate change and 50% of children who'll be the most impacted by climate change um, but can do very little about it um, owing to their age in a recent study of feeling sad and anxious and angry about the situation which is horrendous really it's bad enough that our kids are worrying about this but the study shows that government inaction is what's turning that worry into feelings of distress and betrayal which is, um, yeah, something we can all all help with a little bit. Um, it's massively important to talk to our children about their concerns and letting them know that their feelings are valid. We recommend, before having a chat with your kids, doing a bit of a read-up first. Um, there are some great podcasts out there, social media channels. Um, just have a bit of information behind you so you, you can have a, like a meaningful chat and show that you understand and have a bit of knowledge about the, the situation. Um, but the Bath study and our experience as an organisation shows that children are really reassured by their trusted adults actually acting. They're seeing the inaction from our governments, but actually as parents, if we can show that we care and we are acting, that really does provide some reassurance. And that's somewhere that as an organisation, we can really help. We've got tons of inspiration on our channels and our feeds. So, you know, we'd recommend parents hop on over. Um, Even if you've only got two minute, we've got tons of two minute actions available. So not only as an organisation, can we provide lots of ideas of how you can act together as a family. We also provide a lot of online community support where parents can share their experiences and ask any questions. We've got feeds that you can just tap into when that suits you, or you can come along to a climate cafe. And these are all run by trained experts from the Climate Psychology Alliance. So there's somebody there that actually knows what they're talking about as well, as well as having all those lived experiences of other concerned parents. Charlotte, with a topic such as this one, with such depth and breadth, it can sometimes feel a little bit overwhelming where to start. So if you were to encourage someone new to wanting to get involved in this movement, what would be the one or two things that you would hope a family might introduce tomorrow that's relatively straightforward that can begin to make that difference? One of the really important things that we can do that's quick and easy is to vote for an MP who will support a swift transition away from fossil fuels an immediate reduction um, in the use of fossil fuels by supporting um, sort of mass insulation um, and better transport systems, etc. So have a look at the MPs, maybe go to a climate hustings if there's one in your area before 
the next election and and just have a look around and see who has the strongest credentials in terms of what they're gonna gonna support for our children and their future and vote for them vote for our kids vote for the planet it's really quick it's really easy another way another thing that we can do is to vote with our money take a look at our bank accounts and check out whether your bank's supporting deforestation and fossil fuels uh, there's some brilliant websites out there that you can do this in like two minutes. Um, just pop your bank in there and they'll tell you whether they're um, green or doing horrendous things. Um, and then they'll make recommendations to switch it to a, a more ethical bank. Um, there's a really good website called Switch It Green that I'd recommend having a look at. And the other thing we can do is look at our pensions. If if we're lucky enough to have a pension, in the UK at the moment, we have about three trillion pounds invested in pension funds. And if we could all, you know, or a lot of us switch those funds to green um, pensions, that could have an incredible impact. I think the stat is that switching your pension to a green fund is 21 times more effective than giving up flying and becoming vegetarian and changing your energy supplier. So, you know, while it would be great to be doing those things, also, this is a really, really impactful action that parents can take or have a look at. Uh, you can find a little bit more information on that on Richard Curtis's um, brilliant Make My Money Matter website, and they're on Instagram as well. And if you're looking for an action that you can take with with a young family, then I think it comes back to maybe instilling that love of nature you know, trying to get outside a little bit more, taking a few more walks, appreciating those birds, the trees, getting involved, some of the citizen science projects out there and letting children know that they can make a positive impact on the planet. So also showing them that you are doing your part, you are recycling. As a family, we could think about, you know, how you can reduce the plastic at source rather than just recycling it and taking those steps so that you build up and, um, really help them understand the impact that they can have and the impact that you are having as a family. So if that's reducing waste, turning the lights off, doing a little bit more composting, um, every every little thing helps. And I think, you know, every family could find something that works for them. We don't want to be prescriptive. We don't want to be saying, oh, you must do this. You must take a one minute shower and, you know, set a timer. It's not like that. But everybody can find something that resonates and works for their family to reduce waste and be have a more positive impact on the planet. Thank you so much for joining us, Charlotte. It's been a really interesting conversation. Now, if any of our listeners want to find out more about Parents for Future, where can they find out more about you? There's lots of ways you can find out more about us. Um, pop over to our website, parentsforfuture.org.uk. Uh, that tells you all about our community and what campaigns we're working on at the moment and how you can get involved. Sign up for our newsletter uh, on the website and that will ensure you get sort of two-minute actions and updates from us delivered to your inbox fortnightly. And we're really active on social media. So pop over to your favourite platform and we'll be there with daily updates. Thank you so much for joining us, Charlotte. Thank you so much for inviting me on today. I hope the discussion will show parents in your community that we can all play an important role in keeping the planet safe and thriving for our kids, um, even when we're time poor and juggling. 
every single little action helps. Um, so I hope this podcast has been helpful in some way. So Alistair, I found that quite sobering, but also really interesting. Mm. Um, there's a lot to take in, but maybe we could try and distill that into five things that we've sort of taken away from this conversation. You okay. start first. Number one would be make your climate message appropriate for the children who are in front of you. So you want them to be aware, but you don't want to scare them. Number two, I really like this idea of swapping and borrowing toys and resources and clothes. So look out for local schemes. Number three, I love the idea of encouraging children to be custodians of the planet. So giving them a love of nature, getting them outside to really get invested. Number four, for me, what came across is that time really is of the essence and we can't abdicate this to our children. We need to advocate for our children now. And number five, as we say a lot of my first five years, be a realistic parent. Try and do as much as you possibly can, but nobody expects everyone to do everything all of the time. Thank you so much for listening and do get in touch if you've got any questions for us or if there's something you'd like us to talk about on our podcast. You can post questions on our Facebook community or on Instagram and you'll find us at My First Five Years with the five written out. And if you want more tips around parenting sustainably, you can download the My First Five Years app from the App Store or Google Play Store. And don't forget, you can get this very podcast direct to your feed by pressing the follow button in your Apple Podcasts app or wherever you get your podcasts. And thank you so much for listening. Next time, we'll be talking to Jimmy McLaughlin from the Jobs of the Future podcast all about the skills your young children might need for the future. See you next time.